Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Interesting true fact, I was at the dedication service at Edenton United Methodist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, the day that that hymnal was commissioned. I stood at the back since I was a Divinity School student and got the signature of 27 different bishops in the front of a limited edition commemorative hymnal. However, only the inside sheet distinguished it from a regular hymnal. In Louisville, someone came into my office needing the United Methodist hymnal and retrieved it from my desk. I went through every hymnal in the church, couldn't find it. Somewhere floating out there is a commemorative edition with 27 <laughs> signatures of a bishop. <laughs> Friends, the scripture this day as we journey into this series begins, um, and I'll invite you to remain standing in respect to God's holy word, will come from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say that? You must not eat from an ent any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit on the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it. Listen carefully, men, and all church. She also gave some to her husband. Read with me who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. And they sewed fig trees together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I... I heard you in the garden, and I, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what's this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, I ate it. And that's how God got us all into this mess. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. God, in the words of Paul in Ephesians, would you open the eyes of our heart? Help us to hear what we need to hear from you. And would you show us your word and your covenant in your word, your grace in your covenant? 
your goodness and your grace, your love and your goodness, and yourself and your love. All in the face of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. So the reason I want to place that emphasis today is that there are times in the life of the church where the emphasis has been inappropriately placed. And it fascinates me how many people forget the second half of verse 7 when it clearly states that Adam was with Eve. In fact, teaching disciple Bible study in 1992 in that same church in Louisville, a woman said, I figured it out. The only way that Eve could get to the apple was standing on the shoulders of Adam. I love that imagery, right? But this is community, right? This is, this is a sense of togetherness. This is what got us into this mess called sin. Now, today's sermon is not going to be sort of the, what you may hear sometimes we talk about sin and sort of the Bible thumping, you know, you're totally depraved, you're going to hell. Okay, take that phrase, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Have you ever heard that? When we talk about original sin, You see, original sin is the sin that infected the world and infects you and me. It's what creates the break between us and God's desire for us. But what if we are sinners in the hands of a loving God? Not sinners in the hands of an angry God, sinners in the hands of a loving God. Sin, the word sin, what's the letter in the middle of the word sin? I. Now that's just a playful thing we've used in youth ministry for years. It actually is an archery term. It means to miss the mark. Anytime you do a whole uh, exposition in salvation, it's harmatology. It's the whole, how do we miss the mark? How do we gain salvation? How does this all happen? How do we receive salvation? You don't gain it, you receive it. And so when we look at this concept of original sin, one of the things that I like to focus on is the two questions, the first two questions in the Bible. And thus spurned the entire idea for questions on the journey to the cross. Now, we can look at evil, and theologically, if you try to understand what is evil, it's called theodicy. It's the big seminary word for how do you account for evil if God is good? And it's a whole separate conversation we can have. But the first question that comes in the Bible is actually from the deceiver, the evil one. Or if you watch Saturday Night Live and you're older than the age of 45, then you know it's uh, Satan, right? And so what is that question? That question places doubt, did God really say that? And then the second question in the Bible is God coming looking for his creation saying, where are you? Now, there are three other questions that flow from the text. And you start to immediately see the effect of this broken relationship, this beautiful, flawless design that we were given. And what's also embedded whenever you talk about this sense of the sin that breaks our relationship with God, that gets us kicked out of the garden, we've always been sort of in that state ever since, it infects our relationship, is also the concept of free will, that God gives us the free will to be in relationship to God. There's nothing obligatory. But any conversation we have about any theological issue, I would contend to you, can be taken back to the garden in the first two questions. Did God really say that? And where are you? God's searching and looking for us. In fact, that question, where are you, 
can actually be thought to be played out through the entire Bible as you look at God pursuing his people, his creation, leading them out of the, through the Exodus, even when they rebel, through the prophets, the silent years, and finally in Christ. Where are you? And so I ask you that, church, where are you? But I want to do a little bit of sort of apologetics and um, address the issue because in our culture today, there is a, a great rub that says that you really, you really just, church, you need to sort of downplay all this negativity. You need to say, you know, it's, it's okay. Now, I love He Gets Us. I've loved the emphasis of He Gets Us. They, they spent a buku of money on the Super Bowl, okay? But I think it's a, we've got to be a little bit cautious with the messaging because as I listen to the, to the advertisement on He Gets Us, it, it replaced the word sin with errors. Right? So He gets our errors, right? And, and while it's significantly important to understand sin is a breaking of the relationship, yes, it is an error, but it's more. Yes, it is a mistake, but it's more. It holds consequences. In this culture in which it seems to be that there are no consequences and no more conscience, we must be cautious about the words that we use. The way that God gets us is He knows He made us, and He's reaching for a relationship with us. But we've lost the art of being able to pursue those questions, to wrestle with them, to really struggle. Now, all you young people, watch this. How many of you had to write a term paper and actually go to the card catalog index? Raise your hand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You young folks got no clue what I'm talking about. How many of you remembering before you went to the card catalog index, you had to go to the stack of books that were topically organized to find out where to look in the card catalog index? Yeah. And then you had to go get in the card catalog index. You had to write those things down, put them back where they belong. Then you had to go search and find those particular articles. Then you had to read the whole article. And if you're writing a term paper, you read all of this information. You'll use two or three sentences. And then you've got to go back to this. Okay, where did I get this? What gets underlined? What goes in parentheses? Where is there a semicolon? Where is there a common? Because you, know, you, you had to do all of that. Whereas today, all you have to do is what? Google it. Not only that, there's this thing called um, chat GPS. Holy cow. I signed up for an account. Because on the Facebook post, it said, preachers, all, this thing will write your sermons for you. I thought, no way. So I typed in, create a sermon on entire sanctification from John Wesley's perspective with biblical references. And it did it in eight seconds. <laughs> eight seconds. Three biblical references. I thought, it got to be a Methodist artificial intelligence. Three points, but there was no poem, right? And it was short and to the point. I thought, that's terrible for preachers. Well, good for the laity, right? We, it's amazing how little we have been able to understand the need to wrestle, to re-wrestle, to understand the layers of implications. So when we think about this sin that's in the world, that, this relationship that we have with God that is fractured because of sin, and we are in the middle of that. Let me ask you this question. If you don't believe, uh, we have two tracks. One is you believe that people are basically good and God loves everybody. 
You can take the concept that God loves everybody, put it on a pin, and put it on the side of God's creation. This is truth. God loves everybody. But on the other side of the spectrum, the gap between those two is this thing called sin where we do whatever we desire. And I make this case. One point. Do you have to teach a three-year-old to do right or to do wrong? What comes naturally? I rest my case. <laughs> and I rest my case, especially this weekend, since we now have a two-year, two-month-old grandson whose who's, um, response yesterday when he wanted to go from playing uh, Paw Patrol directly to, and my wife buys these bags of stuff that he just loves to pick up. One of them's blocks. And he'll get the bottom of the bag, and he just picks it up, and they go, everywhere, right? It's okay, no, no, hang on. Now, if we're going to play with the blocks, we have to go pick up Paw Patrol. And this was his response. <laughs> and then Grammy comes in. <laughs> oh, David, come on. We just need to pick these up. Come on, I'll show you how. Okay, Grammy. Well, What's the difference here? Well, his desire is to be entertained, his desire is to do. But when you approach him, just like God approaches us, there are times that when we hear that our life is not following the teachings or the design and desire of God, we have a tendency to simply sulk because we didn't get our way. In my office, I've told you before, I have a file of all my late grandfather's old illustrations, and at times he would type them up, and um, on this piece of paper I have blown up the copy. You can see the way that the tape has discolored through the years. He used this in 1941 and in 1949. A distinguished minister uh, in the city of a city in Australia preached on sin one day, and one of his church officers came forward afterwards in the study to see him. And he said, um, Mr. Howard, we don't want you to talk as plainly as you do about sin, because if our boys and girls hear you talking so much about sin, they will become more easily sinners. <laughs> Call it a mistake, if you will, 1949, right? Call it a mistake, if you will, but do not speak so plainly about sin. And then my friend took down a small bottle and showed it to the visitor. It was a bottle of strychnine, and it was marked poison. And he said, I see what you want me to do. You want me to change the label. Suppose I take off this label of poison and put on some mild label, such as essence of peppermint. 1949. Don't you see what happens? And this is the reason I tell you this. The milder you make your label, the more dangerous you make your poison. Isn't that powerful? The milder you make your label, the more danger you make your poison. Friends, we don't seek to name sin because we want to say that everybody is deplorable and to put some sense of guilt on you. We name sin because it's what keeps us from being in a relationship with God. It's that simple. 
And yes, at times, I know there's Bible thumpers. I know that we can give all illustrations of the revival preacher who said, we're going to sing just as I am one more time until somebody comes down front, right? And I know there's all those manipulated kind of feelings. I get all that, but I also want to put on the table for consideration, we have pottery barn sin, and we have made it a glade-scent smell or something from Bath and Body Works in this little subtle phrase of the devil, Oh, come on. Did God really say that? Or did he really mean what he was saying? Questions aren't bad. Questions can draw us into that deeper relationship. But for you and me, what I hope that we will recognize in this season and journey of Lent is to recognize how powerful the questions are. Now, sidebar and a little extra. The following questions that the creation gives to the Creator, that Adam and Eve give to God, show that we are basically trying to avoid the consequences. God says, Adam, who told you were naked? And what does Adam do? He says, Eve's fault. I was just doing what she said. God says, Eve, what did you do? Serpent's fault. I, I just was, you know. Questions can actually put us to place to doubt and avoid, or they can invite us into a deeper understanding. Because I contend to you that that question that God gives in verse 13, what have you done? Is one that invites us into self-reflection, invites us into understanding, yes, sin separates us from God. But God has carried the chasm of that gap in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, which we celebrate in Jerusalem. And we celebrate at any moment. That the God who recognizes we were created in His image with goodness, when we follow desires of our own heart, we mar that image. We tend to be selfish. But when we learn how to come to God in faith, and in the words that Him to surrender all, we find the joy of being restored. We find the joy of being forgiven. We find the incredible joy that comes from recognizing we are God's children. God desires a relationship with us in a personal way with Christ. Friends, this journey of Lent, I invite you to lean into the questions that will help you respond more faithfully to God. Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful for your love, for all of your grace, because all of your grace is amazing grace. And as we move in this season of Lent that, as Matt said, is more than just moving the furniture of our spiritual souls, the words of Hiawas that put us into the sea of your grace, would you help us to have the confidence and courage to look into our own lives, to recognize the ways in which we have doubted you and listen to the message of the one who only wants us to live in doubt. God, we know that evil in this world is in specific acts, but we also know there is the subtle lure of simply doubting and falling away from you. So forgive us for the ways in which we have actively moved away from you 
throwing pity parties of not getting things our own way. Forgive us for the times that we've attributed to you those actions that have nothing to do with your divine grace. And forgive us for those times where we simply fail to do what we know that we should. And help us to bring all of our life to you in Christ. Because we never get out of the garden with you asking where we are. Thank you for that love, O oh God. Thank you for that kind of grace. And all of God's people did say, Amen. Amen. One of the ways that we will in this season of Lent being uh, helping us to take a fresh perspective into faith is that the affirmation of faith will, in the season of Lent, follow the sermon. And so I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able in response to God's proclaimed word in the Scriptures. And let us remember this affirmation from Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. In all things we are more than conquerors to the one who loved us. We are sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our closing hymn of faith in a moment is going to be Grace Greater Than Our Sin. And in the chorus of the last verse, we're going to sing it through twice. Uh, Elaine is going to kind of back off a little bit on that and let us sing a cappella on the second chorus. It's a beautiful refrain that talks about grace is always greater. Friends, if you've never stepped forward to make that personal relationship, as I told you last week, confirmation helped me understand Christ with my head. My conversion wins when I connected my heart and choice to it. If you haven't connected your head and your heart in that relationship with Christ, please stop by. Let's visit about that. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you be a part of Kingwood Methodist Church. And the way we do that is inviting you to sit down and visit with any of us as pastors, have that conversation about where you are so we can help you find the place to get connected as you come to join the family of faith. Remember, nobody's life was changed because you came to church today. But the entire face of the world can be changed if you will choose to be the body of Christ when you leave this place. Mm -hmm.